Welcome to Digital Stratosphere, the podcast that helps organizations throughout the world with their digital transformation journeys. Here, you will find independent and technology agnostic advice with no software vendor sales spin to help you make the best decisions for your organization. Whether you are in the process of selecting technology, in the midst of your transformation, or trying to get your initiative back on track, Digital Stratosphere provides expertise and best practices to help. Excited again for our topic today, digital strategy, theory, theory versus reality. And the reason um, I wanted to do this topic is because, um, first of all, I think it's an interesting topic. But second of all, our guest, who I'm going to introduce here in a moment, has a background in both academia and consulting. And I thought it'd be fun to sort of unpack the, the contrast between what you learn in textbooks or what intuition tells us might be true, but in reality, it's something different. So that is, those are some of the things we want to cover here today. So uh, joining me today is uh, Scott Janke, who is a PhD. So I, I'm going to try to, I, I may call him Dr. Janke throughout the conversation, just because I know he doesn't like it. Uh, <laughs> he's not a big fan of it, but um, Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself. I already gave away the secret that you you have a PhD and you used to be a professor. Um, tell us a little bit about just your background and upbringing here in the whole. Sure, sure. Uh, welcome everyone. Um, I, I actually started my career in consulting. Um, I was one of those uh, big four recruits. Uh, so, spent some time with uh, KPMG Consulting and Deloitte for a, a while, uh, and then kind of spent my uh, probably the next 10, 15 years working in in business and operational and leadership roles, VP of operations, COO, uh, those kind of roles. Uh, and somewhere in there, I decided that uh, an MBA wasn't enough for me. So I uh, solicited and, and was able to earn uh, my uh, doctorate in IT management uh, while I was still working full time in operations uh, and kind of took that role for a little bit longer, but uh, eventually uh, moved over to academia full time. I was an adjunct faculty member for a while at a couple of different schools and then uh, became a full time faculty, ran a, a master's program and really uh, focused on the connection that we're talking about today. What is reality versus textbook? Um, and, uh, I spoke, uh, I taught both undergraduate and master's students. So I, I got a good swath of, of experience in those classes, uh, and then eventually joined uh, third stage consulting as a senior manager. And now I'm, uh, one of the directors for the firm. Yep. Great. And I, I've neglected to mention that important fact that your, your role here at third stage <laughs> is, is an elevated one and you're, you're at a senior position here at third stage. So, um, thank you for being here today. Yeah. Um, I guess just to start, um, and this is a, it's one question, but I want to spend a little bit of time on this because I think it's really interesting. Um, but because not many people have walked in both sides of the the um, uh, in, of your shoes in terms of being in consulting and ac ac academia, and uh, maybe you can help me today because I cannot talk to save my life. So maybe I don't know if uh, your your academic background can help with that or not. <laughs> no worries. But I, I seem to be having a lot of trouble with my words today. But uh, what are some of the lessons you have from academia versus consulting um, on, the, on the front lines of, of digital transformations? Like some, what are some of the biggest lessons, you know? Yeah, um, from that? it's funny that the, the first thing that popped in my head for those who uh, uh, remember a comedian called Rodney Dangerfield, uh, he actually uh, had a movie called Back to School. He actually joined his son going to college uh, and he had a number of hilarious scenes in a classroom where the professor was talking about how it is factually how to do business and run a business. And uh, Rodney Dangerfield was just like, that is not how you do it. You have to do this, this, this. You have to be friendly with the mayor's wife and those kind of things. So uh, <laughs> it's a great movie, by the way. <laughs> uh, and I think that's so again, the, the, the fact that I, I taught both undergraduate and graduate students, uh, we had young folks leaving uh, just out of high school and they had no concept or, or at the time had no concept of what reality is. So it's great to have that foundational perspective. I taught both uh, operations management and project management and kind of soaking in that information in their brain was very relevant to them, right? They, they've heard and seen the lingo and terminology of how, how a project, what a project is, how it's run, the, the real world of supply chain management and manufacturing and, and inventory management, those kind of things. Uh, but then you've trans transitioned over to the master's program uh, many of them had great experience, but they also never had that textbook education in the area of operations and, and project management. Uh, and it's great to see their eyes light up of what is 
what is practical methodology and how you go about running a business or running a project and what reality is. And I think without having the textbook knowledge of, of proper in project management, let's say, what is the differences and what are the components of waterfall versus agile? You won't know once you get into project, what is correct way to run a project? What is it? Um, mm -hmm. We deal with a lot of uh, uh, companies that uh, have system integrators that go to a hybrid approach. Uh, and that's that's fair game to kind of mix and match wherever you go, right? But without understanding the the academic side, the textbook uh, way of how to run a project, you won't know really when you're getting far off the railroad tracks or when you're just kind of taking a little hop over. Mm -hmm. uh, and as uh, a director at Third Stage Consulting, many of our projects, uh, we get called in to do an assessment halfway through an engagement. And we see that. We see that there's not a, uh, a clear understanding of how they're running a project um, and it trips them up. And we typically call um, call them on the mat, so to speak, and uh, things get righted. But I think not understanding the proper functional way to run a project or run a business. Once you get into real world, there's all kinds of messiness. Mm -hmm. uh, I know we're probably going to talk about that uh, some more today, but it's the reality of the real world that gets messy. So right. again, without understanding the baseline uh, technical methodology of how to have a proper supply chain management uh, program or systems in place, you won't know whether you're doing it right or wrong. Right. Uh, and usually you're like, well, I'm not making as much money as my competitor, but you don't know how to peel back the layers and figure that out. So I think having both is a nice balance of, of being able to answer questions, give directions, manage a team because you understand when you're kind of being that renegade and when you're kind of following the, the tried and true principles of, of many of these areas, these organizations call us up for. Right. Yeah. I have a uh, sort of a follow-up question that's slightly off track, but it it's relevant because I get the question a lot. And, and that is based on everything you just said, if, if I'm a, um, say I'm earlier in my career and I'm thinking about getting into digital transformation, either consulting or I want to be a CIO someday or I want to lead a project or, or whatever. I, I want to be involved in digital transformations. Do you recommend um, sort of higher education? I mean, how much does higher education help with that baseline foundation that you're talking about? Well, um, obviously, I, I, I enjoy and, and support education. Um, uh, I have certificates as well, uh, but you don't have to necessarily go to a formal uh educational uh, institution. Um, it's more about learning and, and capturing that information. So there's all kinds of, of great programs you can, you can have online. Uh, but quite honestly, I, I've seen more trends for organizations bringing in uh, folks like us uh, to kind of educate their team on the proper way of doing whatever they've called us in to do. Uh, and that to me is education. Uh, so I think there are very, very smart people out there who don't even have an undergraduate who can run circles around their competitors. Uh, right. But those are rare and far between. So I, I would encourage everyone who doesn't have formal education or certificates or understanding around what their job descriptions really are covering uh, to seek out that kind of education. You can do it on your own. You can do it formal. Uh, but now with all the online uh, capabilities of educational uh, uh groups, it should not be a problem. And, and I highly encourage you to make the effort uh, to do that on the weekends on the, on the, at late at night, I did that during my doctorate. So, um, and it's obviously been worthwhile for me to do that um, in the past. Right. Yeah. I remember when I was getting my master's degree and, and undergraduate too, but I remember really appreciating the professors that had obviously an academic background, but to me, more importantly, the, the real world experience that they could sort of fuse together. So I, I think that's uh, you're, you're one of those professors I would have enjoyed having back uh, back in the day when I was in school for certain. I, I will add one more thing to that um, there. It's amazing how many clients that I've worked with where the tenure of the folks that we engage with is quite high. You know, the 20 to 30 year uh, tenure at these companies. I think that's rare. Uh, and yeah. one thing that education does give to you is the ability to adapt possibly more easily to go to a different industry, to go to a different company, to go into different uh, verticals. Right. So I think having the knowledge of, of the foundation of education around supply chain management, operations, inventory management, just running a business allows you to move from uh, tire wholesaling to technical uh, uh, equipment distribution. Right. So 
that that capability, I think, enables you to to do such a thing. Um, whereas if you just have long tenure within a single company, it might be more challenging if that's the only experience and lack of formal education or, or certificates that are going to possibly give you a little bit of a roadblock if you wanted to change. Right, right. Yeah, it makes total sense. I'm just turning to our audience here real quickly. I want to thank everyone who dropped in the chat where they're from today. Um, we've got people joining from all over the world, as I mentioned, um, everywhere from Mexico, Saudi Arabia, Irvine, which I assume is Irvine, California, but not 100% certain, but wherever in Irvine, whichever Irvine you're from, thank you for being here, uh, Hamel. Uh, Craig Adams from Hereford, UK, um, Amit from New Delhi, India, Sam Graham from uh, Spain, we've got someone from India, Denver, Colorado, Germany, uh, Karachi, Pakistan, so Very Stockholm, nice. Sweden, everywhere. So we've got people all over the place, random times of day and night. So thank you for joining here uh, today. Um, and I'd love to see in the chat as I as I continue some of my questions here for for Scott. I'd love to hear in the chat here your thoughts on what you think the biggest uh, disconnects are between strategy and reality. You know, what are those things that when you entered the digital transformation space, you sort of thought or had been taught, but then you learned to be um, you, you learn to find there was something different. I'd love to hear the comments from the audience here. So just drop that in the chat if you don't mind. I'm actually going to ask Scott that same question. When, when, as you've sort of looked at your experience in academia and uh, on the consulting side, uh, sort of the frontline consulting side of things, what are some of the disconnects that you've seen in terms of just, you know, what, what looks good on textbook that doesn't necessarily translate into reality or vice versa? What are some of those things that, that come to mind? Yeah, I think, you know, we say we do quite a few uh, system selections, enterprise system selections, and uh, we we stress, obviously, the functionality in those systems and the the alignment with the requirements the company needs to have for the next 20 years. Uh, but believe it or not, the, the technology, as we, we generally say, kind of in hallway conversations, will take care of itself. You can implement technology. You can go live with new uh, point solutions, fringe applications, whatever you want to describe that. It's really the, the messiness comes in the actual organization itself. Mm. So the, the human side of business, uh, people's attitudes, there are folks that are new in their career. There are folks that are retiring, right? So how they're actually going to enable this wonderful goal of digital transformation tends to get off the rails. I'll use that uh, term quite often, I think, today, uh, because they haven't, the organization itself hasn't really understood the impact, the ecosystem around the technology is actually how much of an impact that has on on the, the fruitfulness of of these systems um, it's not it's not uncommon to see a very large organization spend you know 250 300 million dollars on a five-year program to revamp their systems that's great but if you have the same workforce that you had five years ago and you kind of treat that as well they'll just use the new systems when we go live is such short sightedness in this process. And quite honestly, um, uh, my dissertation is in the acceptance of technology in the workplace. So uh, the, the go live literally is just maybe 25% of the road map of, of an in enterprise uh, or digital transformation. So making sure that you have encouragement, training, support, because uh, a lot of times that uh, gets messy as well as the uh, organizations use these massive enterprise implementations to change processes and job roles as well. And so the workforce isn't just learning a new system. Their whole world potentially is getting thrown up in the air and kind of landing on, on, a, on a new direction. So making sure that you keep that at the forefront at the beginning of the, of the project and all the way through the next upgrade or the next replacement. Um, you go through a digital transformation. It's not a single point in time. Um, right. So yeah. more of an ongoing journey. Absolutely. And, and if you want to optimize business benefits, it's certainly something you need to spend the time even after go live to absolutely really fine tune that it. And it reminds me of another thing you already mentioned uh, earlier in this discussion, which is the agile versus waterfall. Um, to me, that's another disconnect. I don't know if it's necessarily an academic versus consulting disconnect, but I think it's just a disconnect in sort of, we'll call it a disconnect between human intuition versus reality, which is human intuition would suggest that agile is a great thing because you move fast, it's nimble, you're going to get value faster, but everything you're just, you're just describing um, suggests that, you know, there's a, there's a balance that needs to happen between speed and, and getting stuff done, but also recognizing that you have highly tenured people, your organization has been around for however long it's been around and changing that just takes time and you need to invest that time to, to move the needle 
versus just putting technology in as fast as you can. And I think that's a, that's another, in my opinion, disconnect. I don't know if in academia, if that's something that they teach is that agile approach, or if that's sort of a in vogue in the academic world as well. I think it's a, a believe it or not, I think it's a generational thing. Mm. Uh, so all the, the undergraduates that were in my classes uh, love this concept of agile, right? They, they, that's the new thing. But quite honestly, when you, when you, people don't realize that, that there's a disconnect there, that um, agile is, was originally for creating kind of one-off apps and those kind of, let's say you want to do a, an enhancement to an iPhone app, right? You can do an agile project for do that. But going through a, replacing your finance and accounting applications, your inventory management, it can't be so so neutral in the sense of lack of documentation and lack of formal uh, stage gauge to the process. And so what we see in these imp uh, implementations when we called in to come in for assessment uh, is a lot of companies start, a lot of system integrators start with formal kind of waterfall approach. They have a, a, a business requirements, they have a technical design document, they have a project charter potentially, but then throughout this year long plus project, they tend to kind of naturally gravitate towards an agile like approach because it's easier from a documentation standpoint. Mm. But then as we get nearer to the truly a, a formal testing cycle and training, we start seeing those disconnects of what we talked about a year ago, 16 months ago, isn't really in reality what I'm seeing now, right? Uh, right. Because they just naturally go to an easier path, potentially, as you mentioned, to go faster, but a lot of times it's just easier. Uh, and staying rigid and having that PMO guidance is, is so important uh, because you don't want to spend 20, 30, 40 million dollars on the implementation and that training or testing. You realize you've gone off those tracks. Right, right. I, I don't know why I just thought of this, but 15 years ago, maybe I, I worked with a, a project manager who um, he was actually part of a, a, he was a contractor that worked for one of my clients. And uh, I remember him, he was an older gentleman, you know, later in his career, he'd been doing this forever, you know, doing this for a long time. And I remember him uh, saying, yeah, I, I remember talking to him about a project plan saying, you know, let's see the project plan for this particular client and what, what are the milestones? And he just, he just looked at me and said, Eric, all I need to manage this project. And he, and he pulls out like a little uh, notepad, like a little tiny notepad. And says, it's all right here. And I said, well, what's in there? And he said, and he, he opens it up and it's just sort of like to do's. It's like just stuff that you need to get done. And so I don't know why that, what you just said reminded me of that example of how, you know, sometimes you, you know, lack of discipline is what people want. And they, they take pride in the gunslinging approach and moving fast and getting stuff done, getting technology out there quickly but they don't look at the bigger picture of, well, are you really transforming the business? Are you really getting business value? Are you really standardizing your business or reengineering your processes the way you want? And I think that piece of it is oftentimes what gets lost in the whole agile discussion as well. Yeah. And I think we, we, we talk about kind of the formal PMO process of how projects are selected in the first place, right? What's the business case? What's the business genesis of why you're even bringing this project to the, to the executive team for approval. You know, what's the benefit, what's the big wow, what's the, what's the change that's gonna uh, help implement? Uh, and companies, I think, once they get the project gets approved and the budget's been approved, they don't actually manage what the original business case was throughout the project to after go live. Hmm. Because by the time they go live, and let's say you will need six months to a year of stabilization to see any potential value from that project, they're on to the next 30 projects. And so they, I think organizations that think that these projects are going to transform their business in reality are just a point of project management. And now they're on to the next thing. They don't actually cohesively look at the full picture, uh, including again, the, the, the people and the processes associated with it. Um, a lot of companies today say I'm, or a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of our clients say, um, we want, we've gotten, uh, our legacy systems are very uh, customized, they're very unique, and they've been in our, our world for, you know, 20, 30 years. And so we want to go to an enterprise solution and just, just use out-of-the-box functionality, which means we will use whatever processes they have built in the system uh, as our processes going forward. But again, the technology part of an organization is just a component. And there's right. a lot of other still manual disconnected processes. And if you're actually going to go through a transformation, it's that teaming up between IT and the business that needs to be, again, that consistent thread throughout this whole thing. Um, 
right. we've helped a, a client look at these value indicators throughout the implementation. So taking these long-term benefits of a project or transformation uh, effort uh, and breaking that down to, can I realize value even during the project? Mm-hmm. So instead of waiting until you go live for formal training and change management activities and process updates, you can start communicating and, and educating your teams throughout this implementation. So by the time they get to go live, they've been well-versed of how to use a system, how the process is going to change and why you're doing this project in the first place. Right. It, it amazes me how many uh, individuals we work with on projects that those like, well, I know our legacy is old, so we're just replacing it. That's missing right. the point of why you go through something massive like this is you want to become better than you were. Uh, and yeah. they just haven't been coached on that. They haven't been communicated in that, in that light. Yeah, it's a great point. And it, it seems like uh, what you just said, uh, as far as wanting to go through a digital transformation because you want to replace legacy systems, that seems to be an increasingly common reason or an increasing, increasingly number one reason why organizations go through these projects. And it, it certainly is a good reason, of course, but to your point, it's not the end all be all. I mean, if you're just doing a digital transformation because you have to, or because your old systems are outdated and that's sort of your, your vision statement, that's, you're just, uh, it's just not going to go well. You're going to spend a lot of time and money on an implementation that ends up paving the cow paths and, and putting in uh, a system to automate pretty much what you're already doing. So if you really want to get, get business value and get an ROI out of that investment, I, I agree with you. I think you, you need to have a bigger, clear vision of where it is you're headed with, with yep. the project. Yep, absolutely. Here's an interesting uh, audience uh, comment here that I want to maybe turn it into a question. This is from Melissa who, by the way, already has a, another question that's a really good one that I'm going to get to in a moment. So Melissa's already on a roll here with some of her questions. But Melissa on LinkedIn says, the people involved in, in the digital transformation don't always have the level of expertise or sometimes attitude um, they need to have. Um, it sort of raises a question in my mind, which, first of all, I agree with you, Melissa. I, I agree that um, you know people involved in transformation don't always have the right expertise or the attitudes. But I guess that begs a question of what are some of those intangible attitudes or maybe just broadening a little bit intangible skills that a digital transformation team needs to have that isn't necessarily something you learn in textbooks or that you learn in the world of academia or even a, a certification program or whatever. What are, what are some of those soft skills? You know, I, I, was, I don't know where I heard this before, but I, I think um, both being inquisitive, uh, which is something that I've had and why I sought out a, a doctorate, you know, halfway, more than halfway through my career, uh, but also this kind of servant mentality. Mm. Um, we find project teams that maybe a couple of consulting uh, uh, FTEs, uh, full-time equivalent kind of people, uh, and let's say six company employees as part of a, a certain work stream. They, they typically have this attitude, and I don't necessarily know why, maybe it's just a, a leadership perspective for, for, that they've had for a couple of decades, but they want to stay in their lane. They, they, I am, I am accounting and this is, I'm only going to think about accounting. I'm, I'm supply chain. This is the only thing I want to know and not having that servant slash inquisitive kind of perspective. And again, formal education isn't a determination of whether you're smart or not. So I'm assuming most folks that have been hired by our clients are smart people, right? But they just seem to have either a, a direction by their supervisor or it's just their nature by itself is that they never really figure out where things fit together mm. and, and why a different group is doing something in this area. And not even asking that question even prior to the project is, is troublesome because you know, that's going to be a challenge of you and the organization throughout the implementation or other activities that, that the organization is doing to, to make people care that there's a full stream here. Um, I, I tell this to, to new clients. One of the things that we do typically in the first couple of weeks of a project, um, and this is, this is even outside of third stage, all my consulting uh, engagements in the past. After a kickoff, we do kind of a workshop and we bring people from different disciplines within the, in the, in the organization together. And it never, never fails to surprise me when people talk about these end-to-end processes of I have a purchasing need. How does it come into a warehouse? How does it get assigned to a, a job? And how does it get leave the warehouse or go to the client? People learn things that have been working there for decades. Mm. They, they realize that some work they're doing that they think somebody downstream is using isn't being used. Or some process has already been fixed and they thought it was broken still today. 
So it's, it's, it's disappointing, but it's encouraging at the same time that even on these projects, people are learning how the, the picture works together. And I think right. that's one thing that, that can be instilled in an organization way before any kind of massive project gets started is to have some of those thought processes. We routinely ask for a, a litany of, of documents, process flows, work job descriptions, all these things. It is amazing to me how many large companies don't have anything documented about how the picture looks. Right. Because people just get hired, they work in their group and that's how it is. And, and it's, it's really interesting that it, it takes a, a big project for them to start thinking and building out a process uh, by department, by end to end, when people start kind of realizing why the project is starting in the first place, because they have lots of disconnects uh, or why this is going to make you more competitive advantage in your marketplace versus just being as is. So just that right. inquisitive kind of servant mentality of, of roll up your sleeves and get, get your hands dirty, I think is a, a great sign of, of the culture of an organization. Yeah, absolutely. And overcoming that tribal knowledge and, and um, collectively or consolidating that tribal knowledge, documenting it, making it more of a, um, a formalized process. I think that's something that you ca- you touched on too, which uh, is one of the benefits of going through a digital transformation. Even if you, you rely on tribal knowledge now, um, or especially if you rely on tribal knowledge, now it's even more important to document your processes and define yep. what that future state yep. is very clearly for, for certain, which again, runs a little bit counter to agile approaches. Agile yep. would suggest, well, let's not worry about documenting future state. Let's just build something, get it out there, test it, let people respond to it. Then we'll tweak it however we need to. And that's, you know, so those are two different approaches that, that are in conflict oftentimes. Um, yeah, and I'll even make a, a bold statement and say that uh, a full um, uh, agile project to implement an enterprise solution will not and will never work. Hmm. Um, there is just it's too big, too expensive, lots of moving parts uh, for it to clearly have these approvals throughout the process, these stage gates, as well as, to your point, the formal documentation. Uh, yeah. You forego that and then Five years later, you want to do an enhancement to it or, or bolt something onto it. And, and all you have to do is rely on how the system's operating today as your only source of how it was built. Um, you're going to be you're going to be kind of guessing of how to move forward. Right. So, yeah. If you are trying to achieve digital transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, select the right software, and manage their implementations. With offices in the U.S., Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. Whether you are embarking on an ERP, HCM, CRM, supply chain management, or any other digital transformation, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Something else you mentioned, too, is you talked about I'll paraphrase what you said, but you talked about the uh, specialization of consultants and, and uh, disciplinary functions. Like uh, when, when you look at a digital transformation, there's all these different areas of specialization that you need to bring to the table. You have, uh, you need uh, project managers, you need change managers, you need functional consultants, technical consultants, you need process type people, um, obviously developers and people that can do the, the hands-on configuration. All that stuff requires a bit of specialization, but to your point, pulling together all those pieces into a cohesive strategy and, and looking at the entire big picture. That's to me, I agree with what you said there. I think that's one of the biggest things that are missing from digital transformations. And one of the biggest reasons why transformations fails because you don't have that big picture view of how it all ties together. And when we look at our um, digital strategy framework, the, the framework that we use in helping our clients define their digital strategies, it's, it's designed to pull together all of those pieces as well as our implementation methodology too. But I think the problem is, you know, organization doesn't have the skill set or the expertise to do a transformation on their own, which is very common and understandable. So they end up hiring consultants and system integrators to come in and do it for them. But no one 
oftentimes is looking at that big picture of how it all ties together. How is this aligned with our corporate strategy where there is a misalignment? What are we going to do about it? And just working through all those different pieces, it, it seems to be something that's commonly missing in, in these sorts of projects. Yeah, you, you, you hit upon something that I was going to mention if you didn't uh, is, is, you know, organizations routinely revisit their mission statement, their strategy, their goal, core uh, beliefs uh, on a regular basis. Obviously, if you're a public company, uh, you're almost forced to do that on at least annually with an annual report. Uh, but I think they still look at improvements to their operations as just projects. Mm. Uh, and they don't sit there and align all the activities that are part of our framework around change management, process enhancements, um, uh, architectural landscape, uh, true formal PMO guidance, along with what the business leaders are doing from a strategy perspective and market penetration and all that kind of stuff. They, they kind of say, I want to go in this direction. Oh, I need this tool. So they go after the tool, but they don't kind of bring it back again of, are you achieving what you wanted to from a business perspective? Um, I think right. very few technology deployments are truly just an IT function, right? Everything that gets introduced to an organization is a business application. Um, right. And I think a lot of the, the newer, younger CIOs are really grabbing hold of that, uh, but it hasn't filtered down. Uh, right. And it becomes, well, finance is fighting with the IT group for something, right? Uh, with, and it's, if it's a small thing, I understand that. But if it's a kind of a function of this transformation and the strategy going forward, that needs to become much more of like, how can I help you? How can I help you? Versus, well, that's a different budget. Go get money somewhere else kind of thing. And they've lost the fact that you're not in sync as an organization from an IT perspective and a business operations perspective. Right. Yeah. Makes, makes perfect sense. Um, just a couple other uh, comments and questions here from the audience. Um, Hanel on LinkedIn, who confirmed that he is indeed from Irvine, California, not Irvine in another uh, place. Um, he makes a comment here. Change management is a must and cross-functional experience for involvement, which is a, a great point. And, and I agree with that. Let's come back to that change management point here in a minute. Um, Cause that's, that's really important. And it's hard to have any conversation about transformation, especially with me uh, without getting into the topic of change management uh, comment here from a wall on LinkedIn. Will this meeting be recorded? It's so insightful. Thank you for the kind words. And yes, it will be recorded it is being recorded and uh, you can find it, whatever platform you're watching on, it's going to stay there even after the fact. So you can go back to wherever you're watching on LinkedIn. In this case, you can watch it there or go to my YouTube channel and you can, uh, find it under, under the live tab there. It's a live discussion. So you can go to the live videos and you'll find it there. Um, question though, from Sam Graham on LinkedIn, this is a really interesting question. I'd be curious to get your knee jerk reaction to the Scott. And that is, is it occasionally helpful to have unrealistic academics pushing the envelope? And first of all, I guess it's, it's, uh, let's assume that academics are unrealistic, uh, I didn't want to say it out loud, but since you did, uh, you know, let's suggest that academics are, are unreal, unrealistic, especially the ones that don't have the hands-on experience like you do, Scott. But do you think it's helpful to take some of the some of these concepts that sound good in theory, but don't always translate into reality? Is it is it good to have a certain level of that to sort of push the boundaries and maybe, you know, sort of lead the charge into pushing us into something that might become realistic over time? Well, if, if anyone has uh, taken uh, organizational behavior as a course uh, anytime in the last 15 years, you understand that or you should know that a small amount of chaos is good for, mm -hmm. for team transformation. So uh, if I'm if I'm interpreting that question correctly or statement, um, do you is it worthwhile to have kind of a, a little bit of a, a, a angst or a push? in an organization just to see what the organization is able to, to adapt and move forward towards. Um, you know, you may not want to do that wholesale on your operations, but maybe um, one of these uh, point solutions or, or focus areas of, of how do I create a dynamic growth in our customer count or something like that, and kind of figuring out an understanding from a psychological perspective, how do I embrace more, more uh, prospects into customers? I think it's it's worthwhile. I think there's so many companies that unless you're in a, a Silicon Valley type company, uh, it is kind of a tried and true process. And it's mm -hmm. not until uh, M&A activity takes place and it kind of makes you look at a new business you hired. I'm like, wow, that's pretty innovative what they're doing. Or you realize you're losing market share and market uh, uh, representation because your your competitors are doing something new. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think in a, in a, in a knee jerk reaction, yes, I think it's it's helpful to kind of 
implement or bring introduce some concepts and ideas into the organization just to see if it kind of rattles the cages a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the things that we call out to um, our clients on, you know, the top 10, top 13 uh, reasons uh, uh, digital transformations fail uh, is, is trying too much too fast. Right. And and you don't want to have anything close to what I would call business disruption. So as long as you can kind of introduce some kind of nouveau kind of concept and see if the team can kind of push forward with that. Uh, obviously, things like, you know, Six Sigma and those kind of aspects of, of process improvement were kind of cutting edge at the time. Right. right. Trying to measure at the, the minute level to see if there's some quality enhancements that can improvements that can be made. So I think I agree that there needs to be something, but it needs to be controlled. And it can't be such a one-off that it, it, it consumes organizations' resources just to have a, a fun little project going on. So yes, but it has to line up with the digital framework that, that we talk about uh, throughout this, this call is that it has to fit for a reason. Um, right. So I think yes, but carefully monitored, I think uh, is probably the best way I can describe it. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. And I think just to add to that, one of the challenges with our industry is that we're, we're all about um, trends and buzzwords and, and new ideas, which is great. You know, we, we need to constantly innovate and look at, you know, what hasn't worked in the past, what hasn't worked in the past, and how can we improve that going forward. But if you look at some of the trends in the marketplace, the problem is that we tend to, you know, this industry tends to double down on new ideas before it's tested or before people fully understand the fallout from it. And they're oftentimes investing their careers and their organizational success on this unproven idea. And I'll give you a couple of examples that I think might be controversial. One we've already talked about, which is agile, you know, agile became pretty quickly became a pretty hot thing. It became a, a sort of a, a reaction to some of the problems with digital transformations and ERP implementations, which is they take too long. They're bloated. They cost too much money. It takes too long to see the value. So Agile came along as a way to, hey, let's let's fix that problem by doing things really fast and getting business value faster. But all it did is it just created a whole set of new problems. And organizations don't still don't fully understand that until they double down and go all in on this concept of Agile and then realize, oops, that's here are all these problems now that we didn't anticipate. Another one is a, a real even simpler, more fundamental one is cloud. You know, look at cloud solutions and the way vendors have moved so quickly from on-prem to cloud. And I'm not here to suggest that cloud is any worse or better than, than on-prem. Um, but what I will say is organizations and specifically the vendors, the software vendor community went so hard and pushed so fast into cloud that organizations didn't realize that they were getting incomplete products and products that just weren't mature enough to handle their basic operations. And we still see that even now with a lot of cloud providers, especially the, the legacy. I'm talking more about the legacy vendors that, had on-prem solutions that they're mm -hmm. moving to cloud. This comment does not necessarily apply to like the net suites or the sales forces or the work days of the world that started off in the cloud, right. always in the cloud. So, you know, you look, those are two things, agile and cloud, where people just don't fully recognize the risks and they think it's a, you know, it's a big trend, it's a big buzzword, it's a hot thing. And they just double down and go all in on these concepts without understanding those, those uh, fallouts. You bring up a good point, And this kind of goes back to this, global uh, concept of, of digital transformation that it's not one and done, right? It's ongoing. Yeah. Strategy yeah. alignment with digital transformation is ongoing, period. Um, is the fact that so many companies, when we go through these selections, still want on-prem to your point, um, but but their reasoning is, is old because it's still that, well, I feel safer that our application is in the server room down the hallway. But again, very focused on an IT thing and, and right. potentially risk mitigation. But from an overall perspective, pick the right solution and the right hosting because it fits with your long-term digital transformation. Not because it, it just feels safer, doesn't resonate with me. There has to be a fundamental reason of last time we went to cloud, we got burned. We're only doing on-prem. I get it now, right? But right. it, it's still every decision in a, in a system selection. And one of the things that we talk about is uh, the, the, the transition of all these point solutions to a single ERP platform is now a ERP platform with some still some fringe applications, right? 
organizations are learning that putting all your eggs in one basket isn't necessarily the best thing for them to reach their market and to grow. Uh, And so, but they have to have that concept so that you have uh, flexibility no matter which path that you have. Uh, Because I do know that uh, organizations that kind of put, again, all their eggs in one basket, they're going down one path, um, have created inflexibility in being able to adopt to changes in the marketplace to their workforce and their competitive landscape. Uh, so having flexibility throughout this process and, and why you're making these decisions, not because we did it in the past, but why will it be better for us in the future? And it's amazing. Some of these small little things come up when we have problems in a, in a large project. It's just the little things of making that alignment work will solve a lot of these, these obstacles uh, and without getting them too far. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, as you talk about alignment, and actually, I think there's a there's a couple comments I saw in the the, the feed here, the chat um, about alignment as well. But when you talk about alignment, and then getting back to the question of can can unrealistic academics push the boundaries of what digital transformation can or should be? Um, one thing that comes to mind, especially putting the two together, the the question that question along with what you said about alignment. It reminds me of other academic concepts that can really benefit digital transformation. And one in particular that comes to mind as we talk about alignment is um, McKinsey's 7S model. Um, when you look at something like McKinsey's 7S model, if you if you don't know what it is, it's a, I have a whole video on it. Actually, on my YouTube channel, if you just search McKinsey, you'll find it uh, on there. But it's basically it's system, strategy, shared values. I can't remember all seven of them, but there's basically seven S's and you have to make sure they're all aligned. And if you're not aligned, it creates friction in the organization, it creates problems. And I think that's a good example of something that wasn't, that was a framework that was not designed or intended necessarily for digital transformation. But if you apply that sort of a model, which is very academic, you take that model and you apply it to a digital transformation, it can be very powerful. So it's not necessarily a, you know, unrealistic model that's pushing the boundaries of digital transformation intentionally, but it's, it is an academic model that I think can, can absolutely benefit. Even, uh, yeah, even, even some of these, uh, old kind of comparison evaluation tools, like, um, um, balance scorecard or SWOT yeah. analysis, believe it or not, it's still relevant. Yeah. Um, totally. And at least on the projects that I go through, I, I add those to our intro deck of mm. where do we think your company is, but more importantly, where, what are the SWOTs? What are the, the areas of concern and opportunities in this project, right? Get them out in front. Um, and I almost always include the company's mission statement or core values in those kind of assessments as well, because this project must fit in that. Right. Um, and, and without having that connection along the way, when, and by the way, let's just be frank that uh, uh, ERP implementations are notoriously difficult. Um, mm-hmm. And so when, when it becomes challenging halfway through and you've already spent millions of dollars, that's not the time to start realizing where this project fits in the big picture. That's right up front throughout the process. Uh, and I think a couple of comments in there of you know, change management really is the key to a successful launch and use of tools. Uh, and getting that started way up front is, is something that most companies just ignore and they wait until the very end. Right. Um, people will make it successful or people will make it a failure. Um, right. the technology you will usually work. Yeah. So, it's easier to find a way to make the technology work than it is yep. to find a way yep. for the to work. Um, here's a, a comment and question that I'm going to integrate or fuse together with with uh, mine, or it's a comment that I'll, I'll turn into one of my questions, which is from uh, Ubaid on LinkedIn says, idea of transformation should be clear. Often corporate strategy doesn't truly translate down. And that leads me to a question that um, I wanted to ask you, Scott, which is how can organizations ensure that their digital strategies are aligned with their overarching business strategy? And because that's oftentimes a disconnect back to your point earlier about if your reason for implementing new technology is because you want to replace legacy systems, you're highly likely, if, if that's the extent of your vision or the extent of your justification, you're highly likely to experience disconnect between strategy and, and reality and digital strategy versus business strategy. So how do you how do you find or how do we third stage and some with some of our clients, how have we found ways to to ensure that you've got that alignment between what your digital strategy is? And what your overall corporate or business strategy is. Yeah, and I will agree that the, the C-suite uh, will sit around and shake their head, you know, shake hands, and, and everyone agrees on on alignment, but it never trickles down. Uh, right. So it, it's great when we have the opportunity to talk to middle management 
And one of the things we do in our, our projects uh, quite often is a, a survey, is a organizational readiness assessment. And it is surprising uh, the disconnect from senior leadership to middle management to the, the boots on the ground. Um, and that is something we, we usually do right up front, uh, including a, an executive strategy workshop where we actually talk about their goals and objectives and what's stopping them from achieving that. Um, it's, it is something that is concerning. And when we give light to that, uh, that's when that, that those light bulbs to go off on the change management, right? What is the motivation for us to go down this path? So uh, we have a, a number of companies uh, right now that are simply replacing a legacy system because it's at end of life, uh, mm -hmm. not long, no longer supported, highly customized. Now they're searching at it. When we have that executive workshop where we do those surveys, it's amazing that they're not leveraging the fact that they're going to go through an ERP implementation to get that alignment, to understand the business justification that you're able to get out of that implementation. They're simply looking at, to your point, we have an old system we have to replace. And I don't know if that's lack of education, lack of understanding of what's happening in the marketplace, uh, but that is one of those areas where consultants can help in kind of exposing them to what competitors are doing, what's the industry standards going forward, and what are the things you should get out of a big uh, implementation, especially around ERP, and how that fits in potentially with your strategy. So I, even though I've been a consultant for most of my life, not all of it, um, uh, I will say that there are value adds that consultants bring to an organization, uh, especially around this, this idea and why we start these projects up front with the surveys and the executive workshops is we want to understand truly is, is, is one hand not knowing what the right hand is doing. Um, right. And that becomes pretty evident for somebody that isn't in, uh, new to the company that there's some challenges there before you get too further down, uh, down the road. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. And as well said, and as a follow-up comment here onto what you just said, Scott, and this is from Melissa on LinkedIn. Melissa says the reality is also that the consulting firm can't change your business processes and your people. You can't rely on the consulting uh, You can't rely on the consulting firm and just the technology to make the digital transformation successful. The company must commit their people and time. And I think this is a great comment that sort of, puts a bow on what you just said, which is, yes, you need, you know, you need that focus on business processes and changing people. And certainly consultants like third stage can help do that, but ultimately your organization and your leadership has to be on board and they have to be the, the faces of the change in your organization. People yeah. within your organization need to be those faces of change as well. Yeah. And I'll add one more thing there that uh, we, we usually, or maybe it's just I, uh, usually push back on clients that want to have one representative from a, a functional area be part of a, a work stream as we go through requirements and implementation. Um, we usually almost expect and demand that there are multiple people that are part of the project uh, just for that knowledge sharing, which is key. But we also like to put people in, in a leadership role on our projects, meaning if, if I'm uh, being responsible for the inventory management track and looking at warehouse management and, and, and shipping solutions and the requirements around that, I'd rather have a, an employee be the, the point person of that work stream, even if I do all the work. I want them to own this for their department and not a consultant who comes in at the last minute, we try and do some knowledge transfer and then we're gone. Uh, so putting your employees and your staff in leadership roles on the projects help kind of gain that visibility that it's not an IT or a consulting project. It really is a business transformation, digital transformation effort. Right. Absolutely. Um, There's another question here that comes back to uh, something you said about uh, Lean Six Sigma. This is from William on YouTube. William says, how do you view Lean Six Sigma in today's environment? And you mentioned that earlier as a, as a um, sort of a framework that, that you've seen applied and we, we see it a lot in the corporate world. We still see it a lot in the corporate world. How do you view that in today's environment? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of lump that into to other types of methodologies for improvement. Um, it will throw everything. I'll throw in waterfall and, and agile in there. I'll throw in uh, Six Sigma, lean, lean manufacturing, all those kind of concepts and, and, and methodologies is most of most companies aren't so large that they can really have formal areas of, of focus on some of those areas or methodologies. 
I'd rather say that it's important for everyone to understand what they entail and to implement portions of them where appropriate. So if, if the idea is that we want to become more efficient and more effective in our operations and our achievement towards revenue and market share, what are the various methodologies out there that we can improve our operations? So it doesn't necessarily have to be a formal program that you implement company-wide or in certain areas. You can, you can cherry pick some of the areas of these methodologies and employ them to see if they work. Um, again, I think it's one of those things where people like to hire people with certifications in these areas, but they don't really drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, of company-wide. So uh, Mr. Welsh, who was famous for Six Sigma at uh, GE, I mean, that was a company philosophy. Mm. Uh, it's so hard to take that and go to a private company that has $50 million in revenue and make them act like GE, right? But right. you can have components of those get implemented on simply improving the pr productivity of your operations. There are things you can, you can embed along the way. Um, very few companies these days are bloated with, with workforce. So they're pretty lean on headcount um, and are getting leaner as everyone's seen some of the layoffs. So it's not like you can take a program and implement it company-wide. Once you start with some of the components of, of improvement, process improvement, operation efe efficiencies and effectiveness, those kind of things, uh, and do almost like a, a trial and error to see whether that's something that actually gains traction. Because almost all right. those philosophies still rely on people to do it effectively. And right. if you're forcing somebody to go to a offsite uh, workshop to become certified and come back and deploy it to your company, unless your managers care about that, it won't happen. Right. So right. It has to be a philosophy within a department or more likely a, a company to, to really grab hold. Right. Right. Now I just realized I have completely lost track of time here. Um, how, do you have a few more minutes? I didn't ask you at the beginning of this conversation yeah. about your timeline. Okay. Yeah. I've just got a few more questions. I want to make sure we get sure. to as we, uh, wind down the conversation here, but, um, these are really important ones too. So, um, and thank you for all the great questions on, on the stream too. Those, those have been awesome discussion points. Um, but one question I want to ask is what do you think if we sort of back up and, and try to tie this all together, everything we've been talking about so far, what do you think some of the biggest and most important components of a digital strategy are? So in other words, when we think about our digital strategy, what are the most important pieces that we should really focus on and make sure is part of that digital strategy? Um, I think we talked about it a, a couple of times in here, but, but why, right? Why are you even bringing this up or having a concept or why are you initiating something and making sure that you understand the implications of going down a, a path or not? So, so that whole alignment, I, I think we're, we're stressing that pretty hard and, and it's because it's so important is that mm -hmm. the, the tactical stuff we can get done, but unless there's a, a purpose and a reason why, when when it hits the fan, so to speak, um, you're going to give up. The organization will stop. They'll they'll do the the short end around to make it finished, make the project or the the effort finish earlier than maybe planned, just to be done with it. Um, this is not an easy or inexpensive effort. So the alignment of why you're doing anything around technology or digital strategy is is the fundamental basis that will carry you forward. Mm. Um, and it doesn't have to be, and it shouldn't be just at the leadership. It has to be throughout the organization. So I'm, I'm surprised we have some large clients. I'm very surprised they don't have both a passive and, and, um, active communication effort around some of these things. So going to a portal homepage, when you turn on your laptop at work, talking about some of the key initiatives in the organization and, and maybe even financial results for the last quarter and making it relevant to everyone, uh, is, amazing, but most companies don't think about that. They only communicate when something has to happen rather than an ongoing engagement. Uh, so I think the strategy part uh, is so important. And the, the other thing is, I feel like a, a squeaky wheel is, is the organizational uh, effort around change management and focus on people. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is, we usually start uh, even during a, a, our sales cycle uh, and somebody's gonna go, wanna go through a, a selection and implementation data Start working on your data, start working on your people. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to backfill people. You need to educate people while this project is happening. You need to support them from day one because uh, they're going to be your champions and change agents when you get done. Um, so data right. and people, I think, are, are, are core 
outside of just the alignment on strategy of why you're doing something. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. And, and one of the challenges in our industry is that um, the echo chamber of our industry, when you look at software vendors, system integrators, most consultants that are affiliated with software vendors trying to push certain software products, they, they don't use these exact words, but they suggest that maybe you should think less and just do now. So don't ask why, just do it. It's sort of the, the refrain that you'll get, not directly, but that's the, the, the mentality that you get oftentimes from the, the technology and the digital transformation community. And the reason is because they want to sell software. They want you to move faster. They, they want you to stop thinking, stop asking why, stop worrying about alignment, stop worrying about you people. It's all about the technology. Let's get technology going right now. Let's do this agile approach. So you can deploy the technology quickly. And it's, it's all designed to sell software, but it's pushing you in a direction that totally circumvents everything you just said. And I think that's the problem. One of the biggest fundamental root cause problems in our industry is it's, it's designed. There's flaws in the design of our industry that are not conducive to strategic success in the way we're talking about here today. Yep. Um, but if you know this stuff that we're talking about and you take your, your advice to heart um, and you, you can use that to counter some of that messaging and take control and ownership of your project and run it the way you want to, which in my opinion is the right way is to ask, you know, make sure you define the why, make sure you focus on change management, have a solid plan up front, all that stuff that, that is really important. Hey, I'll bring one more thing up and I know you may have a, another question, but uh, uh, let's not disregard, uh, let's not disregard the people that the system implementer brings to the table as well. Mm -hmm. Um Typically, what we see is you get the outstanding folks during the sales cycle. You get the outstanding folks at the beginning of the project, and then they start resource changing. Right. And when we come in middle of a project and uh, ask for or we're being uh, engaged to do an assessment on the project, some of the things that frequently come up is that there's not good knowledge transfer within the organization. They give us the C players. They have a lot of coaching. And all of a sudden, now we know more of the product than the consultants that we're paying for. So staying on top of that is also very important. They don't necessarily need to know why you're going through this transformation, uh, but don't ignore the fact that the system integrator and the consultants are also a big uh, uh, factor in a successful implementation too. Right. And I want to call out one, one more comment from the audience too. Um, it's actually a comment that's going to just blow up this entire conversation and <laughs> make me question this entire thread, but, but this is actually a really good point. Uh, Well-known comment from uh arena on uh linkedin says culture eats strategy for breakfast so maybe strategies are relevant i don't know but uh the culture you know you, and you talked just a moment ago about people and, and we've talked a lot about people and change management in this conversation how do you see culture fitting into strategy and you know is, is that something we should be thinking about well I, 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 what i'll say on that is is i would say strategy reflects the culture of the organization hmm. so um when I was doing a, a project for, for Starbucks in Seattle, uh, there were a number of people on the client side uh, that had worked at, let's say, Amazon. And Amazon at that time was big, but it wasn't as huge as this. And the culture there was uh, very militant in top-down direction, heavy workloads, just do it. And their, their ability to have projects and improve their operations to, you know, pennies on the dollar around the thing, around the, the strategy of their, uh, their own transformation um, was a, a representative of the culture in the organization. Mm. And so you can't have a kumbaya, wonderful, cohesive strategy if the culture is disastrous and painful and hurtful, Right. Right. And so I think the strategy reflects the culture of the organization, not that necessarily culture will absorb and, and dispute or diminish the strategy. I think they're, they should be and will are usually are aligned with each other. Right. So if, if, if there's a, a difficult organization from a culture standpoint, um, I'd be surprised that they have a long tenure moving forward of market uh, share, successful uh, customer um, attitudes and perception of their services because it will permeate throughout the organization. Um, yeah. We can go into another call around uh, uh, how we view cultures of the different airlines. Uh, but for those who fly very often, they're a little bit sim more similar now than they have been. But in the past, each one had their own unique culture that drove their strategy of pricing, market uh, share, and those kind of things. So the difference yeah. between American and Southwest, for those that might be in the Dallas area, uh, pretty significant. 
Um, but now I would say Southwest isn't as different uh, because they've scaled to such a size. Now they're having to do very much the same kind of cost cutting focus mm -hmm. on, on managing the, the bottom line than they, than they had in the past. Right. So, yep. I, I think your strategy can also, one of your strategies might be to bend the culture too. You know, I, I agree, totally agree with you that your strategy reflects your culture, but it could be the inverse to some degree, especially now when organizations talk about becoming more innovative or more of a, a digital enterprise, um, that sort of thing. I think it, you can have, um, you can have a strategy that is intended to bend your culture, but you have to recognize that there's headwinds that yep. you're trying to change something that's very difficult to change. And it's not going to happen as fast as implementing technology will happen. And if you know, so and, that's, and that's a good point is that if you're thinking the technology is going to drive that org structure change and, and culture and change management, that's, that's a difficult sale to me. Um, because it needs to probably start the other way around. If you have an innovative company or you want to become that, you can start way before any technology is introduced. Uh, and then when you layer on something that really is maybe uh, uh, fringe uh, functionality uh, or in a certain area that hasn't been touched before, but you've already have that, that crowd that is that servant kind of inquisitive mindset, mm. it is more likely to be successful than if you're thinking that technology alone will change people's attitudes and culture of the company. It's, it's kind of, you can start one right now and, right. and, and change how you think and work with your, your, your folks. Right. Right. And we have a, um, just for um, those watching that might be interested, um, especially if you're interested in theoretical concepts, we have a one page summary of our digital strategy framework and things that we look at and that we unpack and help clients define as part of their digital strategy exercise. I'd uh, be happy to share that with you. If anyone uh, wants, you can you can message me and uh, we'll share that with you. And if our marketing team listening happens to have a link to that, I don't know if we have it posted on our website or not, but if we do, um, you can also check the comments. Uh, they'll post it there if it exists. So don't don't take my word for it because it, it may not it may not be on the website. Um, so if it's not, uh, feel free to message me. But as a, as the, using that as sort of a lead into my last question for you, Scott, um, how can organizations get started on their digital strategy definition in defining a digital strategy that's unique to them, you know, kind of reflects their business strategy and their corporate strategy. Yeah. I, one of the things that uh, still surprising me sometimes is that a lot of organizations, especially at a certain size uh, and they've grown by acquisitions or like they, they don't really understand their, their technology architecture landscape. Hmm. Um, they don't, if things are working, maybe uh, they don't really understand kind of everything from uh, ease of use to cost to uh, uh, retirement across the spectrum to then align with why do you, are you looking at this uh, to start off with? So one of the things that, that we have conversations around in workshops and through implementations of a, of a ERP solution or point solution is, is understanding what is your competitive advantage within each functional area and your, your perspective of the organization in the marketplace. The concept that you can use all of the out-of-the-box functionality and all of the out-of-the-box processes within the system is naive because if that's the case, then you're not adding any value to the marketplace. Every organization has a perspective or a competitive advantage or uniqueness to them and making sure that that shines throughout the whole process. So before you start a transformation project or, or initiative, before you go out and select a system, understanding your landscape in the first place, but understanding what's unique about you, hmm. what, what is driving you, and then focus on that instead of making sure that everything is like for like match on a new system. Use out of the box for back office processing. Don't even think about doing something unique. If that doesn't give you increased revenue or increased market share, table it, right? right? Only focus on what truly is competitive advantage to you. And a lot of our clients are private and they don't necessarily have gone through that effort before. Right. And so a lot of these private companies become public or get bought off by public companies. So having that perspective is core, I think, before you go down this path. Because I think once you go down this path, you need to keep going. Right. You can't just do it for a little bit, stop and say we're done. Um, so understanding why you're in business and why you're successful and then look at your technology landscape and, and see how they sync up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well said. And you don't want to, to your point, you don't want to ignore the current state. You know, you need to use the current state and where you are today as sort of your, your grounding for 
for not only what your strengths and weaknesses are and where you want to be focused on improving operations because it helps increase revenue or market share. Um, but you know, you just, it, it helps you be, be deliberate uh, in that way by focusing on the current state and it also allows you to understand what you're up against. You know, if you, you, if you understand your current landscape, you know, not just in terms of technology, but your processes, your organizational design, uh, the people, the culture, you have to understand the realities of where you are so that you can have a realistic plan and, and a realistic strategy to get where you're trying to go. And too often a vendor or, or system integrator will come in and say, here's our, here's our project plan. Here's our proposal. We can do this in six months, no problem, or whatever the duration is. It's going to cost you X amount of money, but it doesn't consider where you are today and how big of a jump you're making as an organization. For some organizations, it's a massive leap. They're risk adverse. Uh, they're highly tenured staff that just resist change more than others. That's a totally different time frame and strategy than an organization that's a tech company. It's a young startup and it's right. fast. It's not tenured. It's immature processes. Those are two, two totally different scenarios. They're going to have two totally different project plans, but oftentimes, more often than not, software vendors and system integrators will give those two companies the same exact proposal yep. because they know they can implement technology in six months or whatever it is. But yep. this isn't about implementing technology. So those are... Uh, Absolutely. Great, great points you bring up. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com.